You're listening to Wickham Sound online, on Radio Player and on 106.6 FM. Welcome along to the latest episode, uh, four if you're counting, of the Wickham Wanderers show with myself, Colin and Bob. Uh, we're with you for the next hour covering all things Wickham Wanderers. We'll hear from manager Gareth Ainsworth speaking after the defeat to Swansea on uh, match day three, as they call it, if it was in the Champions League. Uh, but it's in the Championship, so I think we still call it that. Uh, we will be catching up with uh, Trust Chairman Nigel Kingston. Um, they've recently launched a new membership scheme. We will be finding out more about that and just how important the Trust remains to Wickham Wanderers, even in these days of the Kuhig family uh, taking over Wickham Wanderers. Trust Chairman is a good motto, isn't it? For Chairman everywhere, I think. I think that is, yes. Uh, that, trust Chairman. Yes, and particularly when you, you are the Trust Chairman of the Chair Boys. <laughs> a lot of chairs there. <laughs> Much furniture included in that. Uh, also, we'll be hearing from 50s winging hero, if that's a thing, uh, Len Worley, who uh, was the, compared to Stanley Matthews of amateur football in his day. Uh, fantastic catching up with him to find out what it was like playing for the club in the 1950s. That's coming up as well. I shall speak to Gareth Ainsworth ahead of this weekend's game against Luton Town. We've obviously had some fantastic games at Kenilworth Road over the years. You'll remember Alfie Mawson's wonder goal back in 2015. We'll speak to Gareth um, and he will give his thoughts about why we shouldn't be too concerned so far about the Chairboys' form this season. And we've got a Twitter poll as well. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on who are Wickham Wanderers' fiercest rivals. Uh, all sorts of ways that, uh, that they could qualify. Could be geographical, uh, could be, I guess, contests that they've had. We'll be discussing that, but you're uh, welcome to uh, uh, tweet uh, that uh, via, well, Twitter, to be honest, using the hashtag TWWS. Uh, stands for the Wickham Wanderers Show. It does. That is the easiest way of getting in touch with us. But you can also contact us via Facebook, or you can email uh, studio at wickhamsounds.org.uk. Uh, we have Luke standing by who has agreed to produce the programme after doing drive time, uh, even though he's a little bit tired um, and couldn't see earlier on out of his glasses. But he can see now, so he will be able to read your tweets, I'm glad to say. <laughs> he's demissed it after, yes, he uh, after the face mask glasses combo, which causes which a lot ne- of problems. Which never them. goes well, does it? No, no. <laughs> Somebody, somebody must have thought, well, what about if you put the face mask on and you're, you're a spectacles wearer? And, and it's, don't does, worry, that'll be Does fine. that qualify you as one of the people who doesn't then have to wear a mask if you're, you're a spectacles wearer? I don't think so. No, no. I don't think it does. Either. So uh, let's kick off with... Uh, <laughs> let's uh, go back to the football. <laughs> review, if you like, of Swansea. We'll hear from uh, Gareth and his thoughts in a few moments' time. But you were at Adams Park. I was, yes. Um, it was... It was sort of concerning the first 15, 20 minutes. You could, you know, Swansea were a really good team. You could see that actually, yes, they were in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. You could see that actually their players, you know, were possible Premier League quality uh, playing in the Championship. Uh, whereas obviously you can think of, of Wickham, you know, being slightly maybe the other way around and almost, well, you know, actually most of these players obviously were assembled in League One and are now playing in the Championship. Um, and so when they got those two quite quick early goals um, and both. Both times Wickham sort of failed to deal with, with a, a cross, um, and then, then the ball was just sort of basically dinked past Ryan Allsop. They, you know, they weren't stunning goals or anything like that. Um, you did think, oh goodness me, you know, it, it might be another long afternoon, a bit like up at Ewood Park. But luckily, actually, it didn't then play out like that. Um, and particularly second half, Wickham played so much better and and did, you know, that certainly competed very well with Swansea in the same way that they did in that very first game, the Carabao Cup game against Brentford. It reminded me of that were actually watching it, you thought, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be all right in this league. We, we can hold our own. Um, it's just we need to, to cut out the mistakes. We just need to be a little bit smarter, I think. Um, and, you know, and I think that, that A, those first, that first goal, and B, the first points won't be too far away. Well, it's important, obviously, to remain positive. I mean, there are so different, many, so many different ways you can look at it, but I was reading one of the, the match reviews and uh, someone saying that... Um, in the championship, it was the worst start, losing three games since 2006. And Colchester, apparently, they lost their opening three games as well. But as you say, when you consider the opponents that have been um, put in front of the team so far, so you had Rotherham first, obviously, who were uh, our League One uh, colleagues from last season, of course, but then Blackburn and, and Swansea as well, as you say, who not that long ago were, were top flight sides themselves. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It was a shame about Rotherham. You know, we, we, we should have won that game. We could have won that game. Um, and had we got three points, had we even got a point, 
I don't think anyone would have even batted an eyelid at the fact that, you know, yes, OK, we got beaten 5-0 up at Blackburn, but, you know, again, very, very good side. Uh, they took their chances. They, you know, they, they didn't have many more, maybe a few after it was 5-0 where Ryan Allsop kept us in it. But they were really, really clinical. And again, the same against Swansea. You know, had we picked up points against Rotherham, you would have thought, well, yeah, OK, probably we were always going to struggle against Blackburn and Swansea. And what I would say to the people who are saying, oh, you know, worst start since, since 2006 in Colchester, well, I'm sorry, I would, you know, much rather be Wickham Wanderers and being sort of like realistic and going into these games thinking well yeah you know it, it's not going to be an easy season as Gareth keeps saying whereas you look at Nottingham Forest and Derby who you know both of them must have thought well this season we're going to probably be challenging for the playoffs obviously Forest last season just missed out on the playoffs um, you know which I, was slightly hilarious the way that they tumbled out on you know on that last evening and Derby County with, with Wayne Rooney in the side both of them would have been thinking well yeah you know promotion this season is, is a good possibility and there they are, down the bottom with us and, and Sheffield Wednesday. So I would still much rather be us than, than one, one of our East Midlands friends. Absolutely. No, as I say, really important to, to keep positive. And, and whenever you hear Gareth speak as well, he's, he's definitely an advocate of the positivity. Uh, Bob spoke to him after the Swansea game to get his thoughts. Uh, Gareth, did you think that you should have had a free kick in the build-up to Swansea's first goal? Maybe. Uh, it's not me to shout about that. But, I mean, we've, we've, uh, we've got plenty to work on ourselves before we start looking at referees, and we're going to do that. But um, really proud of the second half poems. I think we uh, really took the game to Swansea, and we need to start doing that now. Other teams, uh, we've, uh, you know, we, we, we've, we've come up. It's a big, big step, but I'm pleased with what I saw today. I think we're, we're starting to bridge that gap slowly. Yeah, I mean, I said it to you several times before already this season. Once again, yeah, I felt we can play well, particularly in that second half. Yeah, you know, the goal's coming, I'm sure, and uh, and the win's coming. But give us some time uh, assessing the squad. You know, I know I've had three games. Um, maybe just get to the international break, and then we can uh, we can get into all this chaos that we've been used to in leagues one and leagues two. You know, all this fixture build-up that's going to happen in the championship. I'm really hoping it plays in our favour, and I can rotate like I've always rotated and uh, and get some some good results. I think it's very important actually to say to the fans well yeah you know three games it's only three games we've still got 43 to go remember a good few years ago where, where Newcastle United lost their first three in the Champions League won the next three and still got through so it's only three games <laughs> oh, you compare us with whoever Nottingham Forest as well have lost their first Indeed, three so yeah. there's, uh, there is some comparisons but listen I'm, I'm uh I'm pleased. We're learning, we're building, and I'm looking forward to the next game. How pleased were you with uh, Dennis coming in from Everton today? Yeah, I thought he had a great second half. Really, really established. Looked like we've been playing football at Championship level for a long time. Um, first half, uh, I thought we, we, we sat off Swansea a little bit too much, and it was hard to, to bridge the gaps. And, uh, and that's going to happen, but um, hopefully we can learn from that. And, like I say, put some good performances together in, in the coming weeks. I think Gareth said as well. Obviously, before the season started, it would take sort of four to five weeks just to even get his feet under the you know championship yep. table, if that's a thing, and not the championship table, but the <laughs> <laughs> which you can buy an IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> not the table, obviously, because uh, no points and no goals so far. Not that table. But the, the it, just to get a feel of what it's like at that level. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the fact that uh, Dennis the Demron came in, um, you know, it was his first game. He hasn't actually started for, for Everton yet. So he was, again, he was he was getting used to it. But you could instantly see the, the quality there. Uh, and I think he's going to be a, a fine loan signing for Wickham Wanderers. Um, particularly defensively, actually. He looked really, really impressive last Saturday. Um, and, again, Gareth did hint when I spoke to him earlier on um, and we will hear that later in the show that you know that he is still you know still looking at a couple of players possibly coming in before the transfer window slams shut and Dennis wasn't the only debutant on, on, on Saturday either. No, um, so I mean, it, it's an interesting team lineup because obviously, so we had four changes. So uh, Ryan Tafazoli came in for uh, Darius Charles, who was obviously suspended because he picked up the the red card. Jason McCarthy came in for Joe Jacobson. Uh, Dennis Adenrum was playing for Daryl Horgan, um, and Alex Samuel came in for Scott Cashkett. Uh, Tafazoli looks looks you know he looks the part. He's a big defender. Uh, you know he's a big unit, um, as my son would would describe him as. Um, and yeah, I think he's you know he, he's going to look good um, and fingers crossed yes um, that he does actually sort out some of the defensive problems similarly again with Jason McCarthy you know really really good to see him come in and you know the fact that he came in for Joe Jacobson and you know and Jacobson clearly is you know is, is such a talented player um, you know and, and so dangerous as well with regards to free kicks and corners um, that again that you know that I think that's a really positive thing to see that actually we can rotate people like that Jason McCarthy came in and gave a really good account of himself actually particularly there was some spell 
themselves um, towards the end of the first half where Swansea really couldn't deal with the, the combination of McCarthy and, and Fred Onidimna going down the wing uh, and that for a while looked like our best source of goals I think Daryl Hawken as well is someone who I'm especially excited about seeing more of I don't just mean in supermarkets <laughs> yes indeed yeah I saw, I saw him in Sainsbury's last week which, which was a bit of a surprise um, but I didn't approach him and he, he certainly he wasn't, he wasn't doing that thing where looking around seeing who recognises me um, he came on in the second half um, he had Wickham's best chance actually which was an overhead kick which unfortunately went straight at the Swansea keeper and you just think oh if it had just gone either side you never know that might have given us you know a, a slight way back and again I know it's a cliche I know people keep saying it but you really did realise the impact that it has not playing in front of a crowd you know had Wickham Wanderers come out second half 2-0 down against Swansea the whole of the terrace would have got going and particularly things like Daryl Horgan with his overhead kick you know there would have suddenly been a real belief that actually well hang on if we get a goal back here we, you know it, it's not too much of an exaggeration that we might go and get another one and, and snatch a point um, and you just think because the fans aren't there there isn't that slight added sort of impetus that you actually get when yes you're playing at home and all of your fans suddenly actually you know get behind the team and and spur them on so talking of fans uh, the Wickham Wanderers Trust uh, this week have launched a brand new uh, scheme for their membership and uh, I've been speaking to their chair uh, Nigel Kingston to find out how key uh, the trust is in terms of ownership for the club the trust is is very important. It actually owned the football club from 2012 until uh, February of this year, when the when the final deal was done with the Cluigs. And um, during that period, when uh, we owned the football club completely, we managed to keep it solvent. Although I have to say that was a battle from time to time. And we went through various phases of struggling for funds. But the fans, I have to say, were fantastic during that. We, we had the, the Chairboys Funders, where the fans loaned the club 450000 We had the Share Scheme, which was launched in 2014, and the fans uh, put forward virtually 700000 And then we had the um, 500 Club on three different occasions, which raised 170000 So... Really, the, the, the fans kept the club going all through that time. So it was a, that was an amazing achievement. And when we got to the point where we were, we were struggling to continue to raise money, that's when the Coigs came up with the deal that we subsequently put to legacy members in November last year and then finally signed in February this year. And it's been very successful since then so yeah it's all good news but the trust is still very important we still own 25 percent of the football club and we have two trust directors that sit on the football club board so we have a lot of influence in the club obviously we don't control it the coigs do but we have a very good working relation with the coigs as well it must be such a fascinating insight as well. Uh, sometimes not particularly pleasant, I imagine either. But but to know you know what what financially is required to to keep the club going. <laughs> it would certainly give you a few sleepless nights to have seen some of the figures over the past few years. Yeah, it's very it's very difficult because you've got uh, uh, very definite fixed outgoings in terms of the running of the club, the playing budget, which is obviously one of the big ones. And everybody's naturally inclination is to make the playing budget as large as possible so that the football club can be successful on the pitch. But there comes a time when if you've not got the income coming in, then you've got to rein back those ambitions. And uh, that's always the difficult balancing point. And like many football clubs, you've got to have cash because if there isn't cash to pay the daily outgoings, you're you're in trouble. But um, anyway, we got through that by hook or by crook and we're where we are in the championship and, and looking upwards. It must be so pleasing for you as to have put in you know, such hard work as a trust and, and to be in this, not comfortable, I guess, but, but much better situation. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's not comfortable at the minute because there we were, all of us expecting to start getting people back into the grounds and suddenly that's gone further down the road, how many months, none of us know, but um, all the income forecasts that uh, the club was looking at have um, 
gone into the sunset to some degree because there's no, no money coming through the turnstiles. Obviously, there's other income streams into the business, but money through the turnstiles is important and getting the fans back into the stadium is even more important. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's been quite a concern over the last few weeks. And you've launched this new style of membership. What's brought that about? We wanted to do a couple of things on the membership front. One, we wanted to add value to the trust membership scheme for the fans so that we're able to give them a benefit package that was worthwhile. And we think what we've put together uh, is quite a good benefit package. And we wanted to simplify the scheme because we had the people paying various different amounts of money. So we've simplified it. And obviously the, the subs to the trust is one of the major ways that the trust raises money. And given that we have 25% ownership of the club, we want to retain that going forward. And having enough funds behind the trust in the future is important. So that was the, uh, the, the other side of it. Talk us through some of the benefits. Okay, well, one of the, one of the key benefits is admission to... Uh, what we call an open session of every monthly trust board meeting for the fans, for for all the trust board members, so that they can hear what's being discussed at the trust board meetings. And at the end of that, there's a, a half an hour question and answer session uh, that the members can participate in. And we kicked that off in February, and then the virus hit, so we've been on Zoom meetings since then. But for the October meeting, we're going to go back to the open session and run it online. We're not sure exactly which mechanism, whether it'll be Zoom or whether it'll be uh, similar to what the club's done before with having a number of people talking to to the members, but it it will be possible for October for the members to uh, join in the board meeting. So that's that's good because it it means everybody gets a, a first-hand view, if they want, of what's going on. The other key parts of the membership package is that all trust members will get a a £10 gift voucher, which can be used in the club shop online or when we get back into the stadium in in the bars. And this is something which we're very grateful to Rob and Pete Cooig because uh, they're, they're funding that to help the trust. So that's great. There'll also be priority booking after season ticket holders for all cup matches. We will at some point towards the latter part of the season, hold a a special trust night. So that'll be an annual get-together for fans and for players and managers, which we've done in the past. And yeah, that always goes down well. We've also agreed with Rob and with Pete that uh, we'll have a number of streamed live webinars where, for trust members only, where themselves and Gareth and probably myself will be there and willing to take questions from trust members. So again, that gives them a bit more access to what's going on in the club. How can people find out more about the the trust membership if they'd like to get involved? Just go on to the uh, Wickham Wanderers Trust website and everything's there. We modernised the website about two months ago. So There's a news section that tells you how to join, tells you how to get in touch with the directors. There's a bit about each of the trust directors there. So there's an awful lot of information on the trust website. And just finally, as the chair, what's the main message you'd like to get across to people about the the trust and the the work that you do? Well, we're trying to be very open, uh, very transparent. We're trying to make people see that the trust is worthwhile and it's worth being a member. And obviously we are trying to raise funds so that uh, we can maintain our 25% share in the club in the future. And I I don't know whether you saw, but uh, we ran an auction over last weekend of the shirts that were worn in the Wembley playoff final. And we managed to raise... 6,000, I think it was 6,300 pounds for those shirts, which was fantastic. So that's another quite large contribution to trust funds. So yeah, we'll be doing more of those sorts of, uh, of events going forward to make sure that we, as I say, have enough funds to retain our 25% membership going forward.
But yeah, the message to fans is join the trust, find out more about the club. We're the link to the club for the fans. And um, yeah, anything you need to know, you can talk to us either directly by getting in touch with the directors or email us through the website. That is such a great news story, isn't it, that, that you were able to raise so much money from, the, the, as you say, the auction of those shirts that people want to be associated with that, that night in July. Yeah, no, it was, it was fantastic. And it was, like a lot of auctions, they're actually quite good fun because we held it open for 48 hours and you, you get the initial bids coming in and then there's a bit of a lull and then there's various other people coming in and then the last few hours suddenly it starts getting quite exciting. And the bidding stopped at 12 o'clock on Saturday night. And, yeah, there's some super bids that come in in that, in that last hour or so that drove the total up to that 6,300 figure. Great to speak to you, Nigel, and a really good uh, fundraiser as well with the auctioning of the shirts. A very good idea. And uh, really important uh, that the Trust has that role and can continue to fundraise for the, clubs, uh, for the club as well. Uh, still to come on the Wickham Wanderers show this week, we'll be catching up with Wing Wizard uh, from Wickham Wanderers, Len Worley uh, from the 1950s. That's on the way as well. Plus, we'll be previewing the Luton game and we'll be telling you our social media poll for this week as the Wickham Wanderers show continues here at Wickham Sound. The Wickham Wanderers show. Welcome back to the second half of the Wickham Wanderers show. There's three halves in our show. <laughs> Yeah. Two halves and extra time is, yeah. is how we like to think of it. Uh, still to come, we'll be previewing the game at Kenilworth Road on Saturday, which you're going to. Uh, I am indeed, yes. Uh, we will be chatting to Len Worley. Um, if this was you talking about it, you'd try and fit as many W's po- as possibly you could into the, the, the link, but I'm not going to do that. Well done. Very sensible. But he does tell us about um, playing in the FA Amateur Cup final back in the 1950s. What a great, great period to be playing football in Absolutely. as well. Fascinating. Imagine if you could take a, a 1950s player and then bring them to the, the, the 2020 season and say, look, this is what, this is what it's going to be like. I mean, you know, that would be fascinating, wouldn't it? If it actually you could take a player and, and like, almost play teams from the 1950s against some of the teams from today and see, you know, well, you know are, are Manchester City and Liverpool, are they really that good? Or if they came up against the Stanley Matthews Blackpool of the 1950s, how would they get on? Such an incredibly different pace of the game as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I... I I think that the players from today would probably be victorious just in the, you know, the, the, just the physicality, just the, the fitness, um, you know, all of the science that goes into to it today. Uh, whereas, of clearly, back in the 1950s, as um, Simon Garner was telling us last week, you know, it, very much, uh, you know, still, still a time where, yes, you might have had a, a beer and, and even a cigarette, in his case, um, sort of at half-time. And the shorts were much longer, the ball were much heavier. Indeed. Whereas you, you think of like Arsenal coming into to Arsenal those years ago, mm. and you know, and and clearly, it was a a dressing room culture that was very much geared around going to the pub uh, and doing that sort of thing, and yeah, and completely revolutionised the the whole thing, and you know, got them eating right and got them, you know, not doing the 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 bad things, and look where football is now. Absolutely, uh, something else that's very modern sort of, uh, is the uh, interactive element to our show. We're inviting you to get in touch with us uh, via Twitter. We're having a Twitter poll uh, this week on uh, who Wickham Wander- who you consider to be Wickham Wanderers' greatest rivals. So we were having a chat before the show and talking about who Wickham's big rivals are in the Championship and we were talking about Luton and obviously Watford this season and Reading um, and then that, that conversation went a little bit wider into, well, you know, who are Wickham's rivals? Because the fact that we spoke to Len um, uh, from the the 1950s and very much we said well if you're a Wickham fan of a certain age you probably actually automatically say Slough Town but if you're a Wickham fan of another age you wouldn't consider them at all as being Wickham's main rivals you would possibly think Colchester United and then more recent fans might say them Bristol Rovers Um, and if you're looking at it from a local point of view well possibly Oxford Um, Luton we have had some you know some fairly sort of grudge type matches Nathan Jones hasn't always been the most complimentary with regards to us so you know they're, they're, they're possibly on that list as well. And also, there's sort of bogey teams as well, aren't there? That, that sort of down the years, who've, who've come to Adams Park, or you know, we've gone to them and, and just had real difficulty playing against them. So they, they might be considered sort of fierce rivals as well. Geographically, uh, Brentford, of course, I believe, are the, the nearest football league club to us. Yes, definitely. I, I mean, with regards to the bogey teams, Bristol Rovers certainly were. You know, back in in the, the 2014 season, um, when obviously they came to Wickham on that that sort of like must win game. So it was the game before the last game. It was our last home 
game of the season. Um, and of course, had we won, you know, things would have been fine. But Bristol Rovers came uh, and beat us. And I remember all of their fans that, you know, at the end, all singing, you know, we're staying up and you're going down and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then, of course, you know, we went to Torquay in that wonderful, wonderful day and they went down instead of us. But there's always then after that been that, that, you know, that needle. Uh, and so you think, well, yes, you know, uh, uh, they, they might be on the list as well for some people. I wonder how it's judged because obviously we won't be playing Slough, I imagine, uh, for a while. So. <laughs> exactly. So there won't be any sort of grudge match there. And, you know, other teams who are, you know, obviously lower, might come up in the cup, for example. We might have a game against Colchester. Uh, maybe um, Swindon even. Some fans don't like Swindon, do they? Um, but as you say, there's, there's Reading and, and Watford and Luton who are, who are quite close by as well. And um, it's, it's really interesting, I think, that, you know, how you sort of judge what, what, a, what a rival is. Yes. I mean, I think with regards to Watford and Luton, they've got each other. Yes. So I think you can almost count them out slightly. Um, Oxford, obviously, you know, they, they've got a thing about Reading and Swindon, and haven't Swindon, they? Yes. So, but, you know, definitely, again, I think there is a, there, there is a bit of an edge to that. When, whenever Oxford have come to, to Adams Park, um, you know, there's definitely a will to, to, to get one over on our friends up the M40. I was going to say, it's interesting when, when games have names, isn't it? There's the M40 yes, Derby, yeah. and there's the 800 Derby, which I, I realise that um, some Reading so, fans <laughs> refer to the, yes. the Wigan game. So that's <laughs> named after the bus, isn't it? The 800 Derby. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who first of all that's the, that's the fairly frequent bus service that goes between Wickham and Reading by okay. Marlow, Henley and lots of other if I was going to place. vote though uh, I would definitely vote for uh, Colchester um, as somebody who, who became a Wickham fan in the early 90s um, definitely Colchester United yes you know the, the, the rivalry where we were both in the conference um, going you know ne- neck and neck really the whole season through and Colchester just managed to pip us um, and I, I can remember then going to a Colchester game sort of like in, in maybe the early 2000s and I hadn't been to many Wickham games before then um, and just you know walking down Hillbottom Road and, and just sort of the, the, the amount of chanting that was going on between both sets of supporters and just thinking blimey okay you know this is going to be quite tasty and sure enough it was and so Colchester for me yes have always been you know they're, they're, they're the team that I would look for us to really beat uh, and be very satisfied when we do See I have some very early memories of some games that I used to go to, and I do recall some some terrace chants about uh, most uncomplimentary actually about Slough, um, <laughs> as, as a place and a club, but also. As, as I sort of touched on earlier, does that not really count anymore because we're, we're quite unlikely to be facing them again? I, I mean, you just don't know, do you? With, Can with, you have rivals with someone that you won't be playing? Well, yeah, yes. Um, I, I suppose it depends what happens with regards to Slough. I mean, obviously they, they've got their new new stadium. Um, you know, uh, have they got eyes on the on the conference and and the the national league? You know, the national league south at the moment. Um, but it, it's still going to take a while for us to become regular rivals again. But I'm fairly sure that it's one of those things. If we did then play them in the cup, you know, if we played them in a competitive game, I know we've played them in friendly games, we played them in the cup, or if we w- were ever in the league with them, I think that would instantly become, you know, a big attraction. Um, and probably would be one of those games where actually, yes, you know, you, you saw a few more police around than you might otherwise normally at a, at a football match no i definitely think Colchester's a good shout it makes you un- i can't really as i say sort of geographically i think our nearest team are brentford but i can't really imagine considering brentford as, as a local rival no not not really because you think more their way sort of qpr or yeah again the fact that they're sort of london based um but you know they're a strange one as well aren't they because they haven't you know who who are brentford's big rivals off the top of your head you, yeah you would think you know is it qpr is it fulham mm. is it chelsea but they've all got each other exactly so brentford exist in this sort of little bubble Perhaps on, they on need a rival they, they need, need a rival yeah <laughs> we well and again them. that's i think what was said about us and colchester mm. was you know colchester yes well they probably don't like south end but south end probably look more towards the east end of london and west ham and millwall and it's teams, a long way to culture teams like it? that whereas you know colchester and ourselves well yeah actually you know the the, the whole thing turned out quite well didn't it it's like well yeah okay you know we, we haven't got a team that we really 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 dislike and neither of they so we'll have each other 
Absolutely. So you can have a look on uh, on Twitter and uh, be interesting to get your thoughts and we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at some of the suggestions by the end of the programme. First, though, uh, it's been uh, fantastic to speak to uh, former players on the show. Last week we had Crease on... Was it last week? It was. It was, it? yes. Uh, and uh, that was from the, uh, the early 90s, of course. Uh, now we return, uh, or go back even further, should I say, to the 1950s. And uh, you, you might recall last week was the club's 133rd birthday. And uh, back in the 50s, uh, Wickham had a fantastic winger who... Uh, modelled himself on Sir Stanley Matthews and uh, his name uh, is I nearly said was uh, his, <laughs> his name uh, is Len Worley and we caught up with him from his home in Chalfont St Giles to talk about how uh, massively uh, a part of the club's history he is well yeah obviously it's uh, it is uh, an honour really um, particularly uh, how successful the club has been over the years I mean I joined the club in uh, 1954, would you believe? And I was only 17 years old. And uh, it was a successful amateur club then. But now they've carried that success to the dizzy heights of the Football League Championship, which is, you know, truly a remarkable achievement, uh, particularly, I think, for a relatively small club on limited resources. I remember Gareth uh, Ainsworth saying quite recently that... Uh, they are now playing in the fourth best league in the world, which is quite staggering. When you say 1954 like that, does that seem like quite a long time ago, or does it feel like not that long ago? Um, <laughs> time goes so quickly. It does seem quite a long time ago. And things have changed so much, of course. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, the club has come an awful long way since those days. I mean, would you believe... Uh, do you remember the, uh, the days when they played at Lokes Park? Yes. I mean, there we were supported very often by crowds up to about 12,000 people. Quite staggering. But since then, you know, they've made their way through all the various leagues and moved the stadium from Lokes Park now to Adams Park, which is obviously a pretty good move. And they couldn't have achieved all of this, of course, without good managers that they've had in the past. Sid Can, who was a manager in the 50s. And then there was Brian Lee in the 70s. Then Martin O'Neill in the 90s. And of course now, Gareth Ainsworth. So they've all contributed to the success of this club. It's so interesting, isn't it? The, the, you think of the club's achievement now, getting to the championship, but yes. you know, in 1957, getting to the amateur cup final was a fantastic achievement as well. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But as I said earlier, I think you know you've got to sort of look at the club and, and realise how successful they've been all the way through. You know, right back to the 50s and now right through to now, it's been a remarkable achievement for the club. Colin mentioned about getting to the FA Amateur Cup final. Yep. Tell us, because that was a very, very big deal in back, back in the day. Obviously, the FA Amateur Cup doesn't exist anymore. You know, that, that was almost uh, alongside getting to the FA Cup final, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And when you consider that uh, when we played at Wembley, there were 90,000 people there, which is incredible. And I think also in those days, there was, you know, the first division... And then there was second division. But also, the amateur game seemed to have a much higher profile then than that it does now. You know, very often there were headlines in, in the papers about various amateur teams and amateur clubs, which you certainly don't find now. I mean, the whole system has changed. I mean, the, these days, you, you know, you almost struggle to find stuff about clubs in the championship some, sometime because the, the Premier League, absolutely. you know, is such an enormous league now and, you know, almost overshadows everything, doesn't a it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. It, it's, it's dominant, isn't it? And uh, it takes preference almost over everything. Len, you must have such happy memories, though, of your time playing for the club. I know uh, that you were known as the, as the Stanley Matthews of amateur football. <laughs> yeah, I mean... What a great accolade that is, because Stanley Matthews is my hero. And I was fortunate enough to meet him on a couple of occasions as well. So I, I, I based my game on his, right from the word go. And uh, it was, you know, it was great. Uh, I just loved taking people on and beating them and trying to make the, the fullback look silly. <laughs> 
We were talking about the profile of amateur football, and so much so that you preferred that to the to the bright lights of Tottenham. Well, yeah, you're right. I was very lucky, actually. Right in in the very first days, um, <clears throat> I was playing for um, Chelsea St Peter Youth Club, and Chelsea uh, uh, St Peter Senior Team had a friendly match with Wickham Wanderers at the end of the season, and uh, at the last minute. Chelsea and Peter was sort of a player. So they rang the youth club and said, oh, is there anyone available who can step in to play in this friendly against Wickham Wanderers? Anyway, they got in touch with me and I said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, I'll, I'll come along and play. I played and uh, Sid Can, the then manager, said, well, look, then, you know, uh, how would you like to come over to Wickham the next season? And I, as I was only 16 at the time, I said, oh, yeah, yes, please. And that's what I did. Went to Wickham, played three or four reserve team games, and then got into the first team. And uh, I stayed in the first team for the rest of the season. We, we, we had a good time. And we reached actually the semi-final of the Amateur Cup that year. A game we lost to Bishop Auckland. But then, at the end of that season, I found myself going away with the England youth team for the European Youth Championships in Italy. So <laughs> it's amazing how luck and being in the right place at the right time can make such a difference to, to what happens to you. So, so is it true to say that you weren't even really looking to be a footballer particularly, but, but because you answered that call, you ended up playing them against Wickham and then eventually for them and then for England Amateurs? That's right. Amazing, isn't it? Wow, that that is that's fantastic, and you know, it must, must have been quite sort of eye-opening and quite a lot to get your head around to actually go in such a short space of time from you know from just turning out for Chelfont St Peter to to suddenly actually being in the Wickham first team. I know it was just amazing, and yet it just seemed to come naturally. Strangely enough, you know, I, I remember the first game I played for Wickham in the first team. I was playing against the then England fullback, and I gave him a roasting. <laughs> and, you know, everything seemed to just happen. Good things happened. And uh, I then, as you probably know, stayed playing for Wickham for 15-odd years and played 520-odd games for them. So, you know, it was a great time there. Great team, great club. And how did your uh, involvement with Spurs come about? Because I know, I know that's quite a good story as well. Yes. Well, again, in those days, there were always the professional scouts buzzing around various grounds. And the first club that came in for me was Charlton Athletic. And they were quite persuasive and suggested that I come and play for them. And the chairman said, well, if you come over to East London and play for us as a professional, I'll also get you a job in my uh, timber works and you can be a timber salesman as well and i thought hmm okay so i went and played for charlton for a year decided that no i didn't really want to be a timber salesman and i didn't particularly want to live in the east of london so i then came back to wickham and then the following season spurs came in and they were very keen to sign me. And I thought, right, yeah, Tottenham, you know, top team. So I went and played for them for a whole season. And I was understudy to Terry Medwin, the Welsh winger. And uh, they were paying me a little bit of money under the counter. And at the end of the season, Bill Nicholson, the manager, called me into his office and said, look, Len, we want you to sign full-time pro. He said, we can't afford to keep paying you this money underneath the counter. So, you know, we want you to sign these pro forms. And uh, I thought, mm, I'm not sure that I really want to uh, sign professional forms. At the time, I was playing for the England Amateur side. I was also in the British Olympic team squad. I was studying. I was sort of thinking about getting married. And things just didn't seem right. So I said to Bill, well, thanks very much, but um, I'd like to go back to Wickham. And they were keen to have me, and that's what I did. 
Oh, it's a fantastic story. And obviously you played for the club for so long and you followed the club for so long. Well, yep. There are so many great stories linked with it. What is it that you think makes Wickham such a special club? That's a good, good, good question. First and foremost, they've always had a good reputation as a football club, right from, you know, very early days. And I think that sort of word gets round, that they're an honest, sincere club. I mean, my time there, I've met so many really, really good players and played with so many good players and met so many good people. You know, it, it just makes a big difference. Plus the fact, of course, they have managed to bring in some excellent managers. As I said earlier, you've had Brian Lee, who uh, really did uh, attract a lot of good players. And of course, Martin O'Neill, which brought a lot of success to the club as well. And success breeds success. Just a good, successful club always also very well supported which also makes a big difference no definitely no, obviously you couldn't have imagined I, I suppose but even in more recent times couldn't have imagined that they'd reach the dizzying heights of the championship unbelievable <laughs> just incredible and you know all credit to them it's been fantastic do you still wish you were playing oh, do <laughs> i do i yeah absolutely but uh, you know after the football i i took up tennis quite seriously and represented the county at tennis so that sort of kept me pretty interested in and keeping myself fit as well, uh, which does help. Nothing like exercise. Fantastic to hear from Len Worley. I, I really got an idea of what it must have been like to play in the 50s. And lovely to hear him say as well, you know, clearly how much he still misses football. Definitely, and also the, the stories of the Amateur Cup as well. I, I think, I imagine that you know, players of that time really, really thrived on, on playing on those sort of occasions. Yeah, absolutely. And fascinating as well that clearly he was quite happy to just play as an amateur for Wickham Wanderers um, and, you know, and, and clearly did other stuff during the week um, in a way that you can't really imagine someone who was clearly that good, say, today doing anything like that. You know, I know you've had your, your Jamie Vardy's and whatever coming through non-league, but I can't think really that there's probably many players out there that could actually be playing at a high level um, who choose not to do so. No, and it's fantastic to hear from former players, uh, find out A, what they're doing now, B, you know, what it was like to play for the club during their particular era. We heard from Chris last week, as I say, from the 90s, uh, the 50s we've covered. <laughs> and uh, coming up in, in our next uh, episode of uh, Former Player Chats, we'll be speaking to John Maskell, the Wicked Wanderers goalkeeper from the 80s. Fantastic. Looking forward to that. Still to come, we'll be uh, previewing the Luton game. Uh, Bob has been speaking to Gareth, and also we'll find out how our uh, poll results uh, have um, polled. Uh, about, <laughs> <laughs> about, about who, we know what you mean. Of who Wickham Wanderers' <laughs> uh, fiercest rivals are. Uh, still to come on the Wickham Wanderers show here at Wickham Sound. The Wickham Wanderers show. Final part of the Wickham Wanderers show, which for a little while we called the third half, uh, but it seems more sensible now to call it Extra Time. And you've got ten minutes left to tell us who Wickham's fiercest rivals are. Perhaps there could be one we haven't considered that might be... That uh, there may well be. Telford. I don't know, just, that's just come into my head. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tell you have got any great rivals. It was Runcorn. Yes, Runcorn's good. Northwich, Victoria. Also, Al Alfreton Town. No, you know, a bit, a bit out of the way. No, no, I don't even know where that is. And, and probably again, if you're going back, you know, it's probably more Isthmian League teams yes, than actually yes. Conference team because obviously we're in the Isthmian League. It's quite hard to say Isthmian League um, for for a long time. So let's look ahead to uh, the tie at uh, rivals Luton Town. Yes, is, indeed, it's coming up this weekend. It's. Um, it's only our second away game in the Championship. It is, yeah. Short distance to Kenilworth Road. Uh, I had a chat to Gareth Ainsworth earlier on. Um, first of all, I started by asking him uh, how, how he'd considered the game against Swansea, because clearly he watches it back on a video afterwards. Definitely improvement. Uh, like I said, I thought um, very nervy first half and almost uh, a little bit hurt from the Blackburn game, really, still, and, and ex you know expecting the worst. Um, but I've got to get that out of the boys. We've got to go into games believing that they're going to score first um, so I think that was a lesson for me and then second half once we got into them tactically got a little bit better um, you know we uh, we, were, we were a match for Swansea which was great so um, some good players in that side but um, again really pleased and, uh, and saw some progression which is important yeah, I mean, it's still very positive. Having watched all of the games, you know, you competed really well against Brentford. Uh, you competed, obviously, and deserved to win the game, really, against Rotherham. First 15 minutes against Blackburn, you were really good. And again, second half against Swansea, you were excellent. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of positives in there. It's just getting them all together, joining them up. And, and, uh, and you know, I think 
we've still got some big players out. We we need to make sure that, especially after the international break, we're we're all firing on in, you know all cylinders. But um, we've got a big game now, Luton. You know, uh, and and away at Luton is always a tasty fixture between the two clubs. It's been great. Nathan's done a good job there. So we're looking forward to that one on and on Saturday before you know we, we we take our little break and hopefully get a few bodies back into the, into the squad. We've had some great games at Kenilworth Road over the years. Uh, Alfie Mawson's won to go back in 2015 and then, of course, the 3-2 win a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's been re- really entertaining always. There's never a dull moment at Luton, you know, and I think me and Nathan are passionate competitors and, and uh, on the pitch we had some great games against each other, so never mind our teams going up uh, and I'm sure that Saturday's going to be, uh, be no different, you know, looking forward to it. want to get our first goal, you know, obviously that's, uh, that's something in the strikers. We, we want to make sure that they're scoring. Um and, and, and yeah, competitive in games, you know, it's, like I say, it's, it's the start of the season, we're going to have days where we're going to have some bad runs without a shadow of a doubt, this is the championship, it's, we're bridging a gap that we've never had to bridge before, leagues two, leagues one, we could bridge that gap, a million pound, a couple of million pound maybe here and there, but when you're talking 50 million pound, trying to bridge that, it's, it's quite a task, you know, so I'm, I'm not saying I can't do it, just give me a little bit of time to work this out, and, uh, and I'm sure that the boys will be, be flying come Saturday. Yeah, I mean, one of the Swansea journalists turned to me uh, when it was 2-0 last week and said, uh, well, you know, one of our players is probably on the, the same amount as your entire team. And that really did bring it home that actually, really, we were playing a team that, you know, is, is Premier League in everything but name last week. Yeah, do you know, Bob, honestly, the, the, the physicalities and, and, the, and the, the athlete attributes of some of these players is phenomenal. It really is. I, I was lucky enough to play in the, in, in the top level and... and I remember lining up against Arsenal once and you had Vieira, Petit, Bold, Adams, Seaman, Bergkamp. You know, some of these names. These guys look on the TV like they're about five foot ten, five foot. You, you line up in a tunnel against them. They're, they're all six foot three. They're all absolute athletes. And, and we're getting a little bit of that at the moment. And it's, it's a real education for us that we're going to have to find ways now of, yes, competing tactically and technically, but also we're going to have to work really hard to, to match some of these on the physical side of things, they're quick, they're strong, they they get their bodies in the right areas, they solve problems, and and so it's it's brilliant. Honestly, it's a real positive that we're learning so much, and uh, and as we go, um, improvement is is all I'm looking for. And uh, and as long as we keep improving, um, you've you know teams, especially the team we're playing on Saturday, have shown exactly what you can do if you have a good a good end to the season, a good run. Um, so there's, you know, there's, we're never out this fight. No matter how, how dark it gets, we're going to be in this fight, and uh, and I'm going to make sure the boys are fighting and scrapping, and uh, and I want to get my first win soon on the on the table. After the international break, I think it's fair to say it's a pretty brutal month. After that, with games every weekend and midweek, um, are you looking forward to to the break just so that the lads can have a rest before that? Uh, we, one thing is that we're used to this. You know, leagues one and leagues two has taught us that fixture congestion. We can handle it. I've got a great medical team, a great sports science team, and I trust them implicitly with everything. And 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 so I believe that we are prepared for this, probably more than some teams, because it's uh, it's become a second Premier League really this championship. And they do get, you know, they do get the international breaks. They get rest bites between each game, and there's not as many cups. And we all know in, in leagues two and leagues one, there was never a rest for us. It was. It was a full blast for nine months, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, a lot of the time. So we are used to this. My only concern would be, you know, the, the, the amount in the squad. We've got to make sure that they're all fit. They're all, you know, we have enough players to get through this because, again, other teams have, uh, have, have bigger resources than us. So I'm, I'm trying to, to get a couple in, uh, maybe one at least before the window shuts. Uh, and there's a Premier League window after that as well. So we're, we're, we're working really hard, but... Um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. See how the other teams react to these fixture congestions, as well as we can. We know what we can do. We know, we know it's not going to be anything new to us. But um, I'm just wondering whether some of these teams uh, in the championship may hit, get a bit shell shocked with this congestion. Uh, we'll see. But um, I'm sure getting to Christmas will be uh, will be tough, and everyone's going to be needed. So looking forward to that. Uh, tell us about some of the players that you signed this week. Um, yeah, I mean. I mean Dennis, uh, uh, Danny, you know, um, yeah, fantastic acquisition to the to the squad. You know, he's uh, he's going to be uh, he's going to be something excellent. You know, um, he showed on Saturday how how good he he can play on the ball, off the ball. I think he's he's had a real stop start career at Everton, and, and that's going to be good. Um, and then the four young boys, yeah, I mean, 
Anis, um, Andron, Malachi, Curtis Anderson, you know, um, Andre Burley. So all the, the B team boys that have come through, I think it's a real, not just the boys individual, this is a real positive sign for Wicked Wonders, you know, building this B team, building some structure behind what we are. Um, they're all competing with the first team. They're all training with the first team and holding their own. There's plenty of coaching to get into them, but... I wouldn't be surprised if you see one or two of them make the squad before the end of uh, the end of this year. Um, I'm uh, I'm really excited by one or two of them. Definitely, there's one or two that definitely need some work, uh, and I'm not going to start naming names and, and making people feel good or, or, or not so good. Um, just that Sam's done a fantastic job getting these boys in. I think we're we're quite strong, and uh, having a B team is going to enable us to get games into players who aren't playing regularly in the first team. Again, huge positive for Wickham and. Um, if the legacy for this promotion is we started our B team, we started some sort of youth structure, then it's only a positive for Wickham. And um, finally, give us an update on the the two big guys, so so Bayo and Uchi. Yeah, both in contention for this weekend. Uh, Bayo not actually. Uchi definitely. Bayo out on the pitches wants to be in contention for this weekend, but uh, again, I'm going to have to rule him out. Um, but Uchi, um, you never know. Um, he's, he's very close, and uh, and I'm hoping he could play some part this weekend. Um, and if not, definitely after the international break, they'll both be uh, they'll both be very close to the first team. So looking forward to uh, to definitely getting them two back. But at the moment, got everything to uh, focus on Luton today and uh, and how we can uh, try and get the points from Kenilworth Road. Plenty of positives there from Gareth, and uh, great to hear there are, there are some there's some reinforcements coming as well. Indeed, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how we get on with uh, playing Luton. Uh, they started off really, really well, so they uh, four games in a row uh, that they won, but the last couple have not gone their way, uh, so they lost to Manchester United in the Carabao Cup, a game that they probably thought that they'd do all right uh, in, I would think, as they were at home, and obviously Man United had started so badly, uh, and then they lost to their big rivals, Watford, um, at the weekend at 1-0, so hopefully we will add to that. Talking of the big rivals and Wickham's big rivals, uh, many thanks to Chris, who's got in touch uh, to say definitely uh, in the 1950s, Bishop Auckland were our ne- nemesis as they seem to beat us on many, many occasions. Um, and also thanks to Ian as well, uh, who says Slough Town. Slough Town were always our big rivals throughout the 60s and 70s uh, and always will be. Ooh. And I think, as you say, Colchester as well are a, a big, um, definitely, a big thorn in the side. Yes, I think when you when you tally up all of the votes, Colchester have, have just pipped um, Slough as being the biggest rivals for Wickham. So, so we can uh, announce uh, that yes, Colchester United remain, I think, our biggest rivals. But hopefully, we won't be facing them this season. No, I, <laughs> w- I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have thought so unless it's in the FA Cup. Could be, of course. Yeah, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? If you had a really good cup run. Yes, I mean, wouldn't that be great? You know, we would enjoy that, and of course, fantastic that we will go straight into the third round of the. FA. Yes. Cup. So that, that'll that be good. And, you know, and nice that we're not having to worry about the checker trade leasing DAF Cup thing this year. And normally also not really affected by the international break because Leeds 1 and 2 still play, don't they, normally with the That's right, yes. Break. So we, we will have the, the international break to recover. Um, and as Gareth says, you know, that I think when we then come back and then we're playing pretty much, well, you know, weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, well, yeah, hopefully that's something that actually we'll be more used to than some of the other championship teams. No, definitely. You get a real good feeling, don't you, that there's a sort of a, an up, when get, getting up and running in the division and, and, and goals will come, uh, points will come as well, which is, is, is much to look forward to and be positive about. Let's hope that we have one of those remarkable games again at Kenilworth Road, like we had, like the, the 3-2 from a couple of years ago and the Alfie Mawson goal from 2015. Let's hope that we have that on Saturday. Hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the show. Fantastic to speak to Nigel, the chair of the Wickham Wanderers Trust, and Len Worley, of course, and his recollections of the 1950s. Uh, join us next week when we'll be looking back on the uh, on the Luton game and uh, previewing the international break. And you can get us on podcast as well, so if you've missed any of it, you can get us on that. The Wickham Wanderers Show.